St. Paul instructs St. Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Upper Room Media presents this Teen Matters talk, praying that it will firmly establish these virtues in the future of our church. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So during the Holy Fifty, um, we read from the Gospel of St. John, and up until today, the Gospels have been really comforting. I am the bread of life. We love that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Fantastic. Easy to follow, nice on the ear. And then today, we get this jarring verse, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I want you to think about the worst thing that ever happened to you. Pause for a moment and just think about that. The worst thing that ever happened to you. Can't believe this is happening. Why is this happening? Um, Where are you, God? How, How did we respond to that? Why is this happening? And this, this situation um, is really important for us to, to think about and to pray about and to prepare for. Because those moments the Lord warns us today will happen again. It's one of the biggest things that shapes people's faith. And it's also one of the biggest obstacles for people outside the church to enter. I can't believe in a God who would allow this. I don't know how. If God is able to do, to prevent this bad thing from happening, but then he doesn't, then why and how? So, it's so important for us to reflect about that. And before we kind of go into trying to understand why these things happen. Just a few principles that we need to agree on. The first principle we got from the psalm this morning, which is the principle that God is in control. God is in control. If you're in a passenger in a car, and that car is out of control, are you scared? Oh yeah, you should be. But if the car is in control, and if you trust that the driver is a competent driver, then even though you may be going around the bend a bit faster than, than you would like, or you brake suddenly, or whatever, it's okay. I trust in this driver. Things are in control. So we have to remember that God is in the driver's seat, and that he's a good driver. You know that? He's a good driver. There's a, a song that said, Jesus, take the wheel. I really like that song. I haven't listened to it in a long time. But he, he is a good driver. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. He causes his winds to blow and the waters flow. Not just is he in control of, you know, every detail of my life. Even nature 
He causes the wind to blow and the waters to flow. So, one principle before we start talking about dealing with these dark days is to remember the reality that God is in control. You are in his car and he is a good driver. The second is to question your definition of what is bad. Why why do bad things happen to good people? It's a really common question. Question your assumptions about what is truly bad. And don't take it from me. Take it from my favourite, St. John Chrysostom. He said, for a Christian, one thing is bad. Can you guess what it is? Sin. He says, earthquakes are not bad. Famines are not bad. Sickness is not bad. Death is not bad. For a Christian, one thing is bad, and that is sin. And if you think about it, it's kind of logical. Because outside the church, the world tells us all sorts of things are good. Money is good. Fame is good. Celebrity is good. Satisfying every sexual desire is good. We dismiss all of those things and say, no, thank you, world. We don't agree with your definition of what is good. Well, then why do you agree with their definition of what is bad? For us as Christians, our definition of good is different, and therefore our definition of bad must be different as well. And the third principle is we have to understand the difference between something that hurts us and something that harms us. The difference between something that hurts and something that harms. First Peter says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's a big statement. Who is he who will harm you? Who is going to lay a finger on you? Who is going to touch you if you become followers of what is good? What are you talking about? The disciples were imprisoned, captured, whipped, shipwrecked, bitten by scorpions, in the case of St. Paul. Many of them killed. What are you on about? Who is he who will harm you? They were harmed. But there is a difference between something hurting and something harming. A good example of that is the saintly youth. Do you think that it hurt while they were in the fire? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe like they were spared from physical pain, but certainly emotionally it must have been tough. Like that's not, that's not a nice day, getting chucked into a fire. And it's not a nice day when the assistants who are chucking you in the fire, like die because of how hot the fire is that you're about to be chucked into. Like that's not a nice day. So were they hurting? Maybe they were. But were they harmed? No way. And they came out of the fire as if it hadn't touched them. There's a really famous um, example of how, like the difference between hurt and harm. One day, a man was brought into an emergency department screaming in pain. He was a construction worker. 
and he had a nail that had gone through the bottom of his shoe and had come straight out the other side. And he was screaming the house down. And everybody rushed to go and attend to this poor man with this horrible injury. Okay. And they're trying to figure out what's happening, maybe trying to get some x-rays. In the meantime, people are putting drips in his arm to give him big doses of strong painkillers. And no amount of painkiller is enough to stop this guy from screaming. And then so they're doing, everybody's working on him. And some people are trying to get his pain under control. Some people are organising an x-ray. And then some people are trying to take his shoe off, cut it off, see what's going on, see what we're going to do next. And they cut off his shoe. And what they see is that, if you can imagine this is his toes rather than my hand, the nail has gone directly between the first and second toe, and he does not have a single scratch on his body. And he needed enormous doses of painkillers, enough for a horse to get his pain under control. Was he hurting? Yes, he was hurting. He needed strong doses of painkillers. Was he harmed? Not at all. You get the difference between something hurting me and something harming me. And the Lord says, not who, he, who is he who will hurt you if you become followers of what is good, but who is he who will harm you? You might be in pain. Difficult days may come. Hard things may happen to you. I won't say bad things will happen to you because now we know that only sin is bad. But it will not touch you. It will not come near you. You will come out of that fire as if there was no fire. Even though there's hurt, there won't be harm. If we are followers of what is good. And while we are preoccupied with asking why, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why is this the worst day of my life? The worst week of my life? The worst thing that ever happened to me? Why? The question that I think we should be asking is, what now? What now? What do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to respond? And the scriptures give us many possibilities. I'll share with you a few of them. One possibility is that the Lord wants me to be refined. And we read that this morning in the Catholicum. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One possibility, one possible answer to the question of why, Lord, is this happening, is that the Lord wants to refine you and wants to refine me. Refine us in the fire. The gold, which has impurities, needs to be taken to a really high temperature to separate the pure gold from the rest of the impurities. And maybe, Lord, that's what you want me to do. That's what, why you've allowed this to happen. Maybe you need me to pray more. Maybe you need me to forgive others. Maybe you need me to be humble. I've fallen into this trap of thinking that I'm better than the people around me. So one possibility is that the Lord wants to refine me. Another possibility, of course, is that the Lord wants to direct your attention and my attention towards heaven. 
if life is too good all the time, then the prospect of leaving this world and this life being over is a very scary and sad one. Why would you want to leave? I heard a saying recently from an Australian preacher. He was in the 1960s. He was a cricket player and he you know, he used to use the platform that God gave him of cricket to preach the word of God. And he was saying that Australia has a problem in terms of following Christ. It's because, and especially Sydney has a problem. And that problem is Sydney is too nice. And it's some people conclude that this is, this is a good enough heaven for me. I love Sydney, the beaches and the city and all the wonderful things that we have. So this is, this is nice enough. I don't want anything more. And I certainly don't need heaven. Some people may falsely conclude. So sometimes difficult things happen and the Lord is trying to teach me to, to focus on eternity. St. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You can't compare. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's pain. But the glory which shall be revealed in us, you can't compare it. Somebody who really taught me this, this principle is a lady who lost her, her daughter uh, to cancer when her daughter was a teenager, about your age. And it was very hard. And she, she said to me, um, it seems this sentence is sad on the surface, but if you think about it, it's really powerful. She said to me, I will never know joy in this earth again after losing her daughter. I will never know joy in this earth again. At face value, that seems like a very sad sentence. But her focus is on heaven now. Because she never said, I will never know joy. It was in this earth. There will be joy. But it's not here. It's when she's in heaven, reunited with her daughter. So sometimes difficult things can happen. And the Lord is reminding me. We're going to have good days and bad days. Things are going to go to plan and other things, the plans get shot to pieces. But just remember your eternity and remember heaven. Another possibility is for the sake of others, you and I may suffer for the benefit of the people around us. What? How? And that seems a little bit unfair. Let me read you 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, so that we may be able to comfort others, those who are in any trouble, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You and I are going through a difficult time. God promises us here that he will comfort us. Not so that we can feel better and get on with our lives, but he comforts us so that we may be able to comfort others. If you're going through a struggle with your mental health, Who do you think is going to be able to support others? Maybe their own Sunday school class in the future. Maybe their friends. Who is going to be able to support others? 
and understand others and relate to others better than you who've been there. Comfort me, Lord, not for me, but for the sake of others. If you have unrest in your home, if your family has broken down and you're hurting, who can comfort somebody else going through that more than you? Who can understand more than you? Comfort me, Lord, not for me, so that I can comfort others. So, and then the final thing is for the sake of testifying to others. First Peter, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Me as a Christian and you as a Christian, we are called to a different response to difficulty. What should break us? We stand tall in the face of that. And we say, my God is in control. My God is driving. I don't agree with your definition of what is bad. Even though this hurts, he promised me that it will not harm. And I'm going to get out of that fire untouched. And then people will ask, where do you get this faith from? How is this not bothering you? How are you not broken? I don't think I would cope with that anywhere near as well as you. And you say, I'm glad you asked. Please meet Jesus Christ. Whereas if my response to tribulation is the same as anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, then why would there be an occasion for testimony? Why would somebody ask and say, oh, hey, how are you dealing with this? Because we're kind of dealing at the same as somebody who doesn't know Jesus. So it is an occasion for testimony. At the youth meeting recently, we had one of my patients come and speak to the youth. And he, he really exemplifies this verse. So he's a healthy, he was a healthy young man. Um, and then all of a sudden had this diagnosis of a condition called MS, multiple sclerosis. And there's a spectrum of illness, but his was really severe. And so he quickly went from being very fit, very healthy, up and down that fireman's pole, carrying all of that heavy firefighting gear, to being in a wheelchair, um, then being in a power chair, because he lost the ability to even operate the mechanisms of the wheelchair. So he had to have like an electric one, so, you know, because he could move the joystick only. Things got so bad that he described waking up in the middle of the night. And he said, so I need help to get into bed. I can't move. So I really hate it when I wake up in the middle of the night because all I can do is just lie flat on my back, staring at the ceiling. I can't roll over, I can't scratch, and I don't want to bother my wife. So I just lie there looking up, thinking and praying. Hard day. Yeah? Most days are hard. But he's always positive, always shining, always... And so one day I asked him, Like how, how, how are you always, how are you always happy? How are you always, like, just, you know, aren't you angry at God? And then he said to me, he smiled and said, I'm happy because one day I will walk again. And he's got that deep conviction that this earth is passing away. 
that in heaven there will be no sickness. He will be restored. And that's what he's focused on. So his suffering was an occasion for testimony. Inspiring many people by his deep faith in the midst of his hardship. And you and me are called to do that. So, I want to just leave you with a final thought. For the rest of this liturgy, I want you to stop asking God, why is this happening to me? Stop asking that question. And instead, ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? You have allowed this to happen. What now? What should I do? Give me the clarity to see what you want me to do. And give me the courage to do it. And glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.